saw in 1998, in school year 98-99, there was this amazing, what I would call a God moment, God movement that took place in Seneca High School. There just seemed to be this, this spiritual thing happening where a lot of students were being attracted to Jesus Christ, and many of them putting their faith in Jesus. Among those that were in the forefront of that movement were uh, two young people named Joel Schreiber and Nicole Quigley. (laughs) Their love for Jesus was so incredibly obvious. It made a difference in a lot of students' lives. They also had an attraction to each other. And in May of 2004, they became husband and wife. In 2005, they came back to Erie from pursuing their educational goals and also interning in Washington, D.C. They came here to plan a new movement with university students and, and with young adults revealing this love they have for Jesus. So they established a chapter of Chi Alpha here and have been serving on the campuses for all these years and doing an incredible job. In a couple of weeks, we will gather as churches of our fellowship from Pennsylvania and Delaware. And on the Wednesday evening service, in recognition of their call from God for this ministry and their effectiveness in the ministry, the elders of our of our fellowship will lay hands on them and pray a prayer of anointing. Anointing is simply the the using of divine gifts that God has given us and the authority to function in a realm that he has placed us. And it will be an anointing of ordination, and they will be ordained as ministers of the gospel. And we're excited about that. They both have this wonderful passion of sharing Jesus. Nicole is part of the preaching team for Chi Alpha. She's part of the preaching team for our Summit Youth Ministries. And we asked her that as we're going through this series called The Family Tree, that she be part of our preaching team for this series. Uh, And one of the things that Joel and Nicole do as they, they, they walk and talk with young people in this community, they talk about the kingdom of God being a kingdom of right relationships with God and with each other, and especially relationships when it's dealing with romance and how do you find the right mate. And so I've asked Nicole if she would come this morning and share from her heart what the scriptures say about establishing relationships. Would you please welcome Nicole Schreiber? Good morning. So as Pastor mentioned, Joel and I both went to Seneca High School, so we grew up just outside of Wattsburg, Pennsylvania, and um, I know some of you in here also went to county schools around, so you might identify, but our school never dared to hold classes on the first day of hunting, um, because there would be no no students there. I specifically remember students, before they were able to get their driver's license, before they were 16, that they drove to school on their tractor. That's what they brought and took the parking spots. Um, Each year, I remember getting a note um, sent home reminding us that if our truck 
in fact, did have a gun rack, <laughs> we would need to remember to leave the gun at home because no firearms were permitted on school property. <laughs> so Joel and I met in high school, as Pastor said, and at that time, this leading rusher of the football team drove a 1981 half-ton Chevy pickup truck. Par for the course of my high school life. <laughs> this truck was ugly. It was brown. It was rusty. It was the pride of his young life. <laughs> and my senior year of high school, my parents uh, built a brand new house. And uh, my mom carefully selected the paint color and the tile and the architecture plan. And, and we were going to have a two-car garage, which was really coveted in this region because it snows 12 inches tomorrow. Um, you don't have to scrape it. And she had waited, you know, 20 years for this opportunity. It was finally time. And I remember the excitement because each of us, there were three of us in my family, we were all going to have our own room and we were excited. And we moved in just after Christmas, everything perfectly in place. So one cold January morning, Joel offered to pick me up for school. So around 7.30 in the morning, this beautiful hunk of a junk truck rolled into my driveway uh, to pick me up, so romantic, in front, and parked in front of the, our brand new garage door. Now, I watched it all happen, and still, it seems like slow motion from where I was standing at the front door waiting for him to come pick me up, but in one smooth action, Joel um, pulled up, set his coffee down, jumped out of the truck to come greet me at the door, and somewhere in the middle of that, I we're still not sure what happened. The truck idled so harshly, he forgot to put the truck in park. So um, I'm watching, and as this 1981 Rusty Brown truck is now rolling full force straight for my mother's sparkling brand new garage doors. I mean, it is barreling toward it. And Joel, he tries to throw his body between the truck and the door, like to stop it to no avail. And so the truck slammed into the garage door, shaking the entire house. And that is how Joel met my mother. <laughs> group here at the church. Uh, I was definitely not looking for a relationship at all. Your, yeah, I, your first impression of me? I, I went over and she had a chainsaw and she she was splitting wood and that's what she did. Um, I really thought she had a bass boat, but she turns out she didn't have one. So um, that kind of... That would have been everything. You know, if I had a bass boat, chainsaw, I came to church the next day in a dress whole package. And right? I think that's what I go back to the apartment and he looks at me and says, can I have a hug? And I go, sure. So he puts his arms around me, picks me up, spins me around. He's like, now you've been officially swept off your feet, turns around and walks away. And that started well, three years of fight, me fighting with him until one day I realized, oh, I'm in love with him. We met in high school in geometry class. I was a freshman, you were a sophomore, and I didn't come to class prepared, I needed a pencil, so I borrowed a blue pencil from her. I, I met her mom on, uh, I think her first date, I think it was, first day I met her mother, and um, 
she was, um, you know, she was very friendly. She was outgoing. Um, she had a good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I really, I really, I noticed that she loved the Lord. Her mom was, uh, her mom was a phenomenal lady. I, I really, really liked her mom and, and miss her. She's since passed away, but uh, she's the one that really solidified me and the Lord. Took me to Kokomo, Indiana, which is about 80 miles from where I lived, to meet his family. And um, unbeknownst to me, he had told her that my favorite pie was vinegar pie, which I had never heard of. And so when his mother met me, she was very proud of the fact that she had made two vinegar pies. And I'm looking at him like, I don't really think I can do this. And I didn't. Watching the game, of course, the Steelers are winning. And uh, <laughs> so as I stand up, um, there's a, 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 a TV tray in front of me. I stand up and there's all these drinks on it and they just fly all over the floor. And her mom has to get up and clean it up and, and I'm embarrassed and that's about it. Her mom introduced herself to me and then started crying. Yeah. And left. Of the, she just started crying and left. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> and my mom, my mom told me she was so overwhelmed because she was like, this is, this is the one, you know, that, uh, that your father and I have been praying for. There's a lot more that we took this week. We can only fit a few in the small amount, but it was amazing hearing some stories from you guys, how you met one another and how you met each other's mothers. So today, um, we're going to continue our series as pastors out on marriage and relationships. And the title of the message is, How I Met Your Mother, based on this comedy. And it's about a guy named Ted who is trying to fall in love. And his best friend proposes to his longtime girlfriend. And at that moment, Ted realizes he better get a move on if he hopes to find true love too. And so Barney, a friend of his with endless opinions, helps him to search to select a mate. And that's what the whole sitcom is about. Now, Joel and I are pastors of Kyle Campus Ministry. And um, working with these college students and these young professionals, many of you guys are here today, is such a privilege. I mean, really, they are outstanding. And we thank God for this calling that we have in our lives. And most of these students fall between the ages of about 18 and 28-ish. <laughs> and one of the issues that we often talk about with them is marriage and relationships and selecting your life partner. And this issue weighs heavy on their minds. They're constantly getting bombarded with cultural advice and social norm standards, and this is what you should be focusing on in this portion of your life. Now, if you're already married, I want you to flash back for a minute and think about what it was like before you met your spouse, when you were kind of in that, that, that zone of not sure. It can be confusing. It can be an uncertain process. And things can seem clear as day when you're dating, but then after you get married, oh, how you missed it, right? In fact, some of you married people here today might have at one point or another confided in another person that you believe you chose wrong. And now it appears to you in that moment that your selection wasn't maybe as thought out as you once believed. And years into your relationship, you find yourself in brokenness. You find yourself in a mess, and you're wondering if things could have been different. So in having these multitude of conversations with young adults, if we were to boil down the most pivotal biblical piece of the puzzle in selecting a mate, I would say it would be this. Pursue life in this order. 
your master, your mission, and then your mate. Above all else, in every situation, every day, pursue your master. Pursue the God who created you with all your energy, with all your passion, with all your effort. Pursue the one with unconditional and perfect love for you. And in that pursuing, in that journey, the mate that God may have for your life will become crystal clear. We must pursue our master, then our mission, the purpose that God has for us on this planet, and then pursue our mate, our master, our mission, and and our mate. And in that order, (laughs) because when we invert these priorities, we have problems. When we pursue our mission, the, the, the calling that God has in our life to be an engineer or a mother or a teacher, before we pursue our master, we have problems. When we, even for a period of time, focus on finding that life partner, no matter the cost, and we put pursuing our master on the back burner, we have problems. Because if what we're chasing, even if it's a good thing, gets out of order, the value of that thing decreases. Pursue life in this order, your master, your mission, and then your mate. Um, Some guy asked Jesus in Matthew 22, what is the most important thing of everything? What's the most important thing? Now, now there's a lot of things in the scripture that are hard to understand, but this one isn't. (laughs) Jesus said, what's the most important thing? And Jesus answers him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And then he says, the second most important thing is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus himself says that the primary goal of a believer in Jesus, the very first thought you have in the morning, and the very last thought that you have at night, should be this. How can I love God with everything in me today? How can I love God with everything in me when I get my paycheck this afternoon? What does that look like? How can I love God with everything in me when I see my dad later who I'm frustrated with? How can I love God with everything in me as I interact in my marriage relationship? How can I love God with everything in me as I decide who to date, as I decide who to consider my lifelong partner? Figuring out how to love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole mind first is vitally important because it is the order of the pursuit. It is the first thing to figure out. Remember how I mentioned if we pursue things out of order, we have problems? (laughs) Well, here's how God designed things. He is the ultimate, perfect, loving God. In him, all things are full. Our hearts crave him and what he has to offer. Anything less than him doesn't satisfy. Anything less than him is substandard. So if you don't find security in Christ, the ultimate provider and protector, the perfect one, you'll never be able to feel safe with anyone. If you don't find um, intimacy with Jesus, the one who created us, the one who knows our every thought, our every motive, our every action, you won't ever be able to achieve the closeness you desire with another person, ever. Because he is the one that satisfies that fully. If you don't accept yourself for who God made you to be, if you don't embrace your weaknesses and and celebrate your differences, you'll try to be a fake you your whole life. And that will prove to be exhausting for both you and everyone you're with. I know so many great young women who love God so much 
And they want so desperately to have an intimate, spiritual covenant of marriage. But these girls settle and marry a non-believing, self-centered guy because they just want to be loved. They just want to be accepted. And they make a shortcut decision that affects the rest of their life. I love this story about one of the greatest evangelists in the modern history. His name is G. Campbell Morgan. Um, it's a true story. In 1888, he stood before three men who had the power to determine, is he called to preach or is he not called to preach? Joel and I had a similar experience recently. And he stood with these other young, hopeful preachers, and they all preached for these guys, and they did their best. And at the end of the day, these three men posted an accepted list and a rejected list. So G. Campbell Morgan went with anticipation, and he looked for his name on the accepted list, and it was not there. And some of you know that feeling. You poured out your heart and your life in a certain direction, to a certain person, in a certain relationship, and then they reject you. Maybe for no reason at all. You don't have what it takes. Uh, Wish I never had you. Wish that you would go away. You're not welcome here. And G. Campbell Morgan was crushed. And he looked on the second list just to make sure. And there was his name. Rejected. And so devastated, he sent his dad a telegram. A telegram's like a text message. And he said, just one word, just one word. Rejected. Rejected. And a few days later, his very wise dad sent him a telegram back. And G. Campbell Morgan said that this message from his father changed his life forever. And the telegram said this, rejected by men, but accepted by God. Rejected by men, but accepted by God. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. And you are acceptable. You're acceptable. When you're pursuing your master above all else, with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, you are pursuing the most important thing. You know, in God's math, two halves don't make a whole. (laughs) Two half people don't make a whole person. Two whole people, God, two whole people make a whole relationship. God himself is the only one who can make you whole. That's how he works. And only God can meet our needs. The Bible says in Romans 125 that God alone is to be worshiped and we're not to worship any created thing. And that would include even our awesome significant other or spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. I think there are times when we go into relationships or marriages, having expectations of the other person to meet needs and heal places in our heart that only God can heal. And that's not fair for you or the other person. God is the only one who will never leave us or forsake us. God is the only one who can encourage us consistently, who can correct us perfectly. God will never fail, as we sang this morning. God will not let us down. Pursuing the master is the most important thing. And we need to be more concerned about becoming that perfect spouse, that perfect person, than finding that perfect person. So I have an almost four-year-old daughter. I have a picture of her up here. If you can flash it. This is from Easter Sunday. Her name is Cecily. Maybe. She is a bundle of energy. There she is. (laughs) In fact, um, a few weeks ago, she came out of the bathroom giggling, just giggling and giggling, giggling. 
And I said, what is so funny? And she said, I flushed my own sock down the toilet. (laughs) As I tried not to laugh, I called Joel to plunge it. So one Monday afternoon, uh, we are packing up at home to to head to campus. She comes with us often where we do Chi Alpha. And Cecily said, where are we going, Mom? And I said, well, we're going to campus. And she said, well, why? And I said, because we got to tell the students about Jesus. And she replied emphatically, they don't know. (laughs) And I said, oh, Cecily, you know, some of them don't know, and some of them forgot. And she said, well, we better go tell them (laughs) And in that conversation between me and my three-year-old daughter, the mission of my entire life was defined. I have to go to the college campus and tell the students about Jesus because some of them don't know and some of them forgot. And they got to know. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The race marked out for Joel and I is campus ministry. And there's a race marked out for you. God says so. Each of us has a mission. Each of us has passions, things that get us fired up, things that, things that make our heart beat faster, things that frustrate us when it's not working. And coupled with that, God gives us talents and gifts and people to help us along the way. And I really believe that, that our mission in life is worth finding at all costs because it's the only thing that validates our existence on planet Earth. It's the only thing that, that gets us moving. So after we pursue the master... The next in order is to pursue our mission. In Hebrews, that passage exclaims, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The sin that so easily entangles to pursue our mission. You know, the sin that the writer um, warned his readers against, especially in Hebrews, is unbelief. Or also discouragement. Discouragement in your unbelief. Now, I, I believe this passage is saying avoid all sin, certainly. But... What I find interesting is that it's careful to include to throw off everything that hinders, throw off all unbelief, throw off all discouragement, throw off all hopelessness that you won't ever find a spouse, throw off all frustration that the spouse you have now is sometimes hard to deal with, throw that all off, run the race and pursue your mission. And pursuing your mission should be done only second to pursuing your master. You know, if you're a youth Don't think your mission starts when you get older. If you are a seasoned person of age, don't think your mission's over. If you're a married person, strive to fulfill your mission respectfully and faithfully, honoring that person that that you're with. And if you're a single person, don't make the mistake of putting your mission on hold until you find a spouse. Because God has a mission for you right now. God has a race marked out for each of us every day. And also, if you're a single person, that 
you, you remain single, maybe for your lifetime or for a period of time, or, or you weren't and then you were or whatever. You know, I, I think sometimes we forget God promises spectacular blessings to those who remain single in Christ. He gives an extraordinary calling for your life. To be single in Christ is not falling short of God's best. It is a path of God-exalting, covenant-keeping obedience that many are called to walk, and many were called to walk in the scripture. 1 Timothy 6.6 reads this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then the Cole Schrabber translation, (laughs) that reads this to me, the grass is never greener on the other side. The mission is never greater on the other side. We can't wish we were in a different stage of life, every stage of life. (laughs) You know how you feel that way sometimes? Pursue your mission where you are and who you're with right now. And as time goes on, let God clarify that mission and equip you for that mission. Uh, In the 1500s, there's a guy named Martin Luther. Anybody ever heard of him? All right. (laughs) There's a picture up there. And he was walking along and he was nearly struck by lightning actually. And he took this as a revelation from God that God was displeased with him. I I hope that, that never happens to me. So he committed his life to being a monk. He pursued what he thought was his mission. And he took a vow of celibacy and he took a vow of poverty. And he, if you know much about Martin Luther, he was a brilliant legal mind. He, um, he actually almost drove himself mad studying the scripture over and over, looking at all of God's commands and decrees and realizing how woefully short, in fact, he fell to those commands. And then Martin Luther had the most amazing moment as he pursued his mission. He was studying the Bible, and in Romans and Galatians, and it talks about how the righteous shall live by faith. And it dawned on him. It's like like the Holy Spirit dropped on him, and he realized, I'm not saved by my works and what I do, or what I don't do. I'm saved by Jesus, and in faith in his works, and in his sinless life, and in his substitutionary death, and in his bodily resurrection. And that was that moment in Martin Luther's life, in some regards, the real beginning of what we now call the Protestant Reformation. And he took his convictions, and he nailed them to a door uh, at a place called Wittenberg, and it was the 95 Thesis, as they're called which is kind of like a Facebook wall today. Like you put something up there so you can discuss it. Okay. And it's where you would post something you want others to discuss. And this led to a massive alteration in how Christians are viewing the salvation that God gives. Massive. All of this in the context of the time Gutenberg is inventing the printing press and Copernicus and Galileo, they're all discovering all these things. And there's this massive global change. And Martin Luther is on the forefront spiritually pursuing his mission, realizing these things that God is bringing to his attention. And one of the things that he concludes is that marriage is a good thing and children are a blessing. And in that time, the basic teaching of the church was primarily that the best life of all was life of a monk and to be celibate in poverty and simplicity. That was the teaching of the church. And he's beginning to say, wait a minute, getting married and having kids is is good too. And Martin Luther uh, decides that he's going to quit being a monk. And he writes this little book and he renounces his vows and he controversially encourages other monks and nuns to renounce their vows and priests to leave the priesthood and nuns to leave the convent. And this track that he wrote um, finds its way to one particular convent where there's t- about a dozen nuns. Most of them are young, and they get their hands on it, and they start reading it. 
And they decide, too, that it's a good thing to get married. And it's a good thing to have babies. And it's a good thing for us. So they write Martin Luther a letter, and they say, please break us out of the convent, (laughs) which was illegal at the time. And so on Easter Sunday in the 1500s, Martin Luther smuggled 12 nuns out of a convent in fish barrels. So... Many of them went back to their families, and they, other women were married off quickly, um, with one exception. If you can throw that picture back up there, her name was Katerina von Bora, and she was on the other side of that picture. Now, Martin Luther wasn't looking for a wife. He was on a mission. He was on a grandiose, change-the-world, change-history kind of mission. But on June 13th, 1525... Martin Luther and Katerina von Bora were married. Why did you marry her, he was asked by one of his friends. He says, and I quote, to spite the devil, (laughs) which I think is the least romantic reason given in history of the world why one man would marry one woman, but theologically correct, but no woman wants to hear that. But what started with a celibate, poverty, simplistic monk on a mission turned out to be one of the most glorious marriages outside of the Bible in the history of the world. Because these two started to be an example for people who left the priesthood and the nun place um, of how to be married and be married to glorify God. And the beautiful part about this story is as you pursue your mission along the way, you make friendships And those friendships are no waste of time. Even if that relationship doesn't go anywhere else, marriage is about friendship ultimately. So building that is is not a waste of time. It's a good thing. And as we pursue our mission, I really believe that we're going to come alongside people who are pursuing the same thing. And you will look over and someone will be walking in that same direction with the same focus. And there you go. So we pursue our master, the most important thing. Then we pursue our mission, the race marked out for us. And third in order, we pursue our mate. Now, did you know, excuse me, the Bible starts with a wedding, and it quickly moves to a war. How many of you can identify with that? Okay, so the story of Genesis. The story of Genesis is that our first parents are married, and immediately Satan, the enemy of God, shows up. And he moves his war from heaven to earth. From assaulting God and the angels to assaulting a husband and a wife. That's what happens. The truth is, marriage is in the context of war. A spiritual battle rages between the enemy of God and his people. And for those of us who are Christians, our marriages are on the front line of that battle. Satan hates God. He he absolutely hates God. He hates God's people. And he particularly hates marriage. And he hates Christian marriage because Christian marriage is a portrait of the gospel. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that husbands should love their wives like Christ loves the church. He's saying that, that a husband and a wife in loving union and communion and covenant are kind of like a relationship with Jesus and the church. It's a picture of that. That as Jesus leads the church lovingly and humbly and sacrificially, so men are to lovingly, humbly, and sacrificially lead their families. And as wives respect their husbands, they are showing something of the respect that the church at least should have for the Lord Jesus Christ and the head of that church. 
So Satan attacks marriages because marriages are an illustration of the gospel. What I find really curious is that Satan didn't even show up to attack Adam and Eve until they got married. And for some of us, I think we have this naive notion that if we just get married, our trials and our troubles and our temptations will just go away. Like, because we're having trouble with this, so if you just get married, that'll all be over. Our enemy will come then, and the battle will, in fact, intensify. And it's because of this that we need to go into marriage with our eyes wide open. Um, you know, when you're thinking about buying, like, a new car, a new house, new garage doors, I don't know, you need a profile of sorts. Okay, so like some of you, you want leather interior because it smells really good. And other of you are like, leather interior sticks to your skin in the summer. I hate that. And so I don't want leather interior. You know, some of you are like, I love to read. I want a a closed porch so I can sit on the porch and read all summer long. Or you need a conversion van because you have like a million kids. (laughs) Not my family. Um, All right, so you build a profile. And this profile serves as a tool for elimination. A guideline. And in selecting a mate, you can build a profile. Even when um, Ben and I were interviewing some of the um, couples to be on the video, um, many of you talked about, many of the women talked about, I had this list. I had this list of things that I wanted. All right, how many of you ladies had a list ever? All right, okay. I had this list of things that I wanted. Now, I think that I would encourage you to make a list, but make it somewhere between so detailed that it's impossible to fulfill, you know, and so vague that you'll take anybody. You know, like somewhere in that spectrum. And I think on your profile, some of the basic elements should be these things. Number one, date someone who is also pursuing the master, just like we've been talking about this whole time. Someone who is spiritually hungry, Um, And don't ask, like, the minimal question. I think uh, I've had conversations with students. I have a new boyfriend. Awesome. Is he a Christian? I don't know. Okay. You know, like, how do you not know? You know what I mean? Like, let's wait a minute here. Well, he went to church once. I'm like, okay. You know, here we go. So so you don't want to say this is the minimum that we agree on. Start with the most important thing and want the most. Um, there should be a common enthusiasm and joy about the gospel. You, you should have a similar understanding of who God is. Number two, date someone who's also pursuing their mission, someone who's, whose dreams and purposes are similar to yours, that line up to yours. Number three, date someone who is physically attractive to you. That's an okay part of, of a profile. And number four, date someone with strong character. Who are their friends? Are they responsible? How's their values for sexual purity? Um, you know, if character issues come out after you're married, it can literally sink the ship. So those are good questions to ask. Now I'll let you add the rest, because everyone has different ones. But one thing to remember is don't compromise your misgivings about a person. Because once you start to rationalize why you're with someone, you're in trouble. Anything that's a problem while dating will get into a bigger problem when you're married. I say this all the time to my amazing Kyle friends, but love is risky. Love is risky. And I would be willing to bet that many of you in this room today have suffered some form of broken heart. A broken heart is one of the worst pains describable. I mean, it is, 
like, I think one of the most difficult things to deal with at any life stage. And sometimes broken hearts cause us to be afraid to get close to people. Because we've been hurt or betrayed or somehow someone broke our trust. And somehow we transfer that fear over to every relationship in our life. And we just want to curl up in a ball emotionally and hope no one ever cracks us. And we miss out. We miss out on all the goodness in relationships because we're afraid of the bad. And I think if you're in that spot, or if you'll ever be in that spot, or know someone who's in that spot, in order to overcome this fear, you have to take a prayerful relational risk. A prayerful relational risk. Now, I'm not saying take a random haphazard risk. Be prayerful who you invest your heart in. In order for genuine intimacy to be achieved, we must take a risk. You can't be in control and achieve intimacy. You can't hold the upper hand and achieve intimacy. You can't keep an ace up your sleeve and achieve intimacy. We must take a prayerful risk. And when we risk, we're vulnerable and we could be hurt. But here's the thing. We can't afford not to take it. It's a scary risk, but it's even scarier not to. Because this is what we're made for. Relationship. Relationship in context of family. Relationship in context of friends and significant others is what we are created for. So when it comes to risking in this area of finding a mate, I think it's important to remember to avoid premature intimacy of all kinds. Remember we talked about making a perfect relational risk. So that means we don't go up to a perfectly new stranger and say, hey, it's nice to meet you. Let's go to lunch. And at lunch, I will then vomit my entire life story, all my deepest dark secrets and my hopes and dreams and the names I want to name of all my children. And quite frankly, that's what a lot of people do. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you have this misunderstanding of how close you really are. In that same vein, uh, if it's not emotional intimacy, it could come in the form of physical intimacy. You know, all the time, we're talking about how you shouldn't have sex before you're married, but why? These my students ask me, why? Why? Because when we engage in physical intimacy prematurely, It gives us the impression that we're closer than we really are. It advances the perception of the relationship further than the reality. It advances the perception of it further than the reality. And then all of a sudden, you are feeling all of these amazing, awesome feelings, and the guy's like, yep, I'm done. And then you're broken, and your brokenness is is heavy. I like what Solomon said to the Shulamite woman in Song of Songs 8.4. He says this, I want you to promise not to awaken love until the time is right. And the time is not right one week into the relationship. It is not. Avoid premature intimacy physically and emotionally. So we can't give our heart away every single time we meet someone. He smells good. I love him. (laughs) I don't love him anymore. He has a nice job, and he doesn't live at home with his mom. (laughs) I love him. Okay. You know, like, those are not uh, the premature intimacy, you know, motives there. Okay. Engaging in lots of premature intimacy makes you settle for false intimacy eventually. Your heart is so tired that there's nothing left. And premature intimacy can also create this fear of being intimate. And, And it's a fear that you'll never find the real thing, that you'll always live in the friend zone. 
So we must take a prayerful relational risk to achieve an intimate relational return. Don't settle for something that isn't right. My campus pastor in college always used to say this, and now I repeat it all the time. God will not dangle a pork chop in front of you and then give you a hot dog. When we pursue our master, our mission, and then our mate, we will find God's blessing and clarity. So like I mentioned before, Satan proceeds from a wedding to a war in the first book of the Bible. And in the last book of the Bible, he tells us how we triumph in that war. Revelation 12:11 says, "They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony." They've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. If we want to defeat Satan in our life, in our current marriage, in our future marriage, Here's how we do it. The blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. That lamb is Jesus, and his blood was shed so we could have victory. Jesus died for your sin so you could put your sin to death, including selfishness, idolatry, bitterness. Sin that entangles us to prevent us from our mission. Sin that keeps us from pursuing our master. Sin that clouds our decision to choose a mate. Because the lamb of God and the blood of Jesus is our hope, and is our victory. And because of the blood of the lamb, we have a testimony. And a testimony is only powerful when we tell it. And that's why I shared with you Martin Luther's story. And those of you listening today that have experienced victory in marriage and relationships, we need your testimony. We need you to tell the story to as many people as possible in order to defeat the enemy's central attack on marriages today. The scriptures declare that the war is won by the blood of the lamb and the testimony of you, the testimony of the believers. Can you imagine what relationships and marriages would look like if we all began pursuing our master first? If in those uncertain moments we pursued him, if in our lonely moments we remembered the testimony of those who have victory, if in the difficult moments when we wanted to quit, we, we counted on the blood of the lamb, when in our hearts we wonder if we choose the wrong spouse, what if we set our eyes back on the master to change us? Can you imagine if we started sharing our testimonies that breathed life into hopeless relationships? Can you picture how our family tree would change if we pursued life in this order? our master, our mission, and then our meat. So just to close our time together, um, we're going to do what seems the most appropriate to me. We're going to pursue the master for a few minutes. And John and the band is going to lead us in worship as we declare God first in our life, as we declare God above all else, as we, as we declare him the most important thing, as we dim everything else in comparison. So will you stand up, let's sing together, and then, and then I'll pray to, to close the service.
pursuing you, God, you pursued us. God, I thank you that you are our shield and our strength and our ever-present help, God, that you are perfect security and perfect intimacy, God, that you fulfill all of our needs. And I pray, God, as we just continue as people that want to love and serve you, God, that you would help us pursue you first, God, above all else. God, and then as you give us our mission for our life, Father, that we could walk that out in boldness and in courage. God, not that it will always be perfect, but God, it will be our, uh, just our, our gift to you, God, our hope that we can please you. And God, I pray for those in this room who are still um, looking for a spouse, Lord God, that you would bring them the perfect mate, that there wouldn't be worry in their hearts. God, that they would trust you above all else. And God, I pray that um, the testimony of those here that have strong marriages that honor you, God, that we would hear them. And by the blood of the lamb and the word of that testimony, God, that we could defeat all of Satan's and all of his schemes. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our life and the way that you're continuing to always meet our deepest need. And it's in your name I pray. Thank you for coming to church today. Have a great afternoon.